why they shouldn't have to do something. People tell me, well, you know, that's part of the law. Well, first of all, that's not true. The law, giving is not part of the law. The tithe existed long before the law was ever given. It's like, okay, well, what if it was? I mean, does that mean that we shouldn't give? I mean, if God's a giver, should we give? God's a lover, should we love? God is graceful, should we be graceful? If God is forgiving, should we be forgiving? See? I mean, whatever God is, that is the image that we are to conform to. Tonight we're going to talk about biblical community. And uh, we're going to be on this for a while. And tonight's going to be, in, in some ways, real practical. We're going to talk about some real practical things as far as community. And we're going to kind of set the stage to go uh, and, and to look at community in a different way next week. And, um, and so I just kind of want to lay a groundwork from a real practical standpoint before we go and look at it in a deeper way and, 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 and get hopefully a deeper understanding of what community means. Now remember, we said that God, the God we worship, is a God who has eternally existed how? In community. There's never been a time when the Father and the Son and the Spirit have not existed together as one in community. How many gods are there? Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one God. How many persons exist in this one God? Three. You say, how can that be? It's not one plus one plus one. What's one plus one plus one? It equals what? So we don't have one plus one plus one, but what's one cubed? What's one times one times one? Three ones times each other equals how many? One. There's three persons in the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but there's only one God. But within the Godhead is this trinity, is this community of God. If you take any person of the Godhead away, you don't have God anymore. Just like if you take any corner of a triangle away, you don't have a triangle anymore. So if you, if you try to take the sun out of God, you can't because then you don't have God anymore. If you try to take the spirit out of God, you can't do that because then you don't have God anymore. If you try to take the Father out of God, you can't do that because you don't have God anymore. So do you see that there cannot be a separation? There cannot be anything except a unity, a community, a oneness that exists there. And God said in the beginning, He said, Let us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who created everything? God did. But specifically, what person of the Godhead created everything. What does Scripture tell us? Jesus did. John 1 says, without Him, there is nothing that is made that was made without Him. Colossians says that, that all things created are by Him and for Him and through Him. Hebrews declares that the Son was with the Father at creation, and through the Son, God created everything. 
Let us make man in our image. And so we're created in the image of God. And we're invited into the community with God. How? In Jesus Christ. How can I come into the community? Do I come in because I'm really a nice guy? Do I come in because I give lots of money to the church? Do I come in because I pray all the time? I'm in church every day of the week. Do I come in because I'm a very righteous person or a very spiritual person? Do I come in because I've written lots of books about God and I have lots of information about God? No. I come in one way and one way alone. I come in through the Son. And in the Son, I am brought into this community. And I live in perfect unity and harmony with God. Because my life is in the Son. And the Son is in the Father. And there cannot be a separation. Because He is just like one of the points of a triangle. You can't take Him away and still have God. And so there is this community. And we're invited into this community through Christ. And now that we have become His body, who is the church? What is the church called? The church is called the body of Christ. We are the body who is the head. Christ is the head. So what identity does the body carry? Who is the body known by? How is your body known? Do people know who you are when they look at your big toe? Your little finger? Your knee? Your elbow? How about your hand? Your hand's real visible. No, they know who you are because they look at your face. They look at your head, and your head identifies who you are. Where is our identity? It's in our head. Who is our head? Jesus is. And so we are the body, the church. We are to live as one. That was the prayer of Jesus, that we would be one with one another, even as the Father and the Son and the Spirit are one. And so the church is to live as one in community with one another, even as God is one community so we get this right we we get this picture we understand that we're supposed to live in unity we're supposed to live we are a community even though we live in different houses the body of Christ worships all over the place in different buildings at different times in different locations but the reality is we are one in Christ and we are to live as though we are one we are to love as though we are one. My hand can't hate. My foot doesn't make sense. Can't function that way. And so as the body, we are to love and function as one. And that's what community is about in a very practical sense. So let's look at four characteristics of biblical community. The first one is love. Now, we use the word love a lot, right? Today, we had a men's conference. And Shelby fixed this really good breakfast casserole. I loved it. I did. And then, at lunch, we had brisket. Maria baked this brisket. It was delicious. I loved it, too. Here's my wife sitting here. I love her. I look at all of you, and I love you. 
I love Mexican food. I love ice cream. I love donuts, though I don't eat them very much. I ate half of one today. I love coffee. You see how we use love? We love a lot of things. But, but what is love in the biblical sense? See, I, I'm not commanded to love you like I love coffee or like I love Mexican food. I'm commanded to love you in a very specific way. Matter of fact, Jesus said in John 13, 34, he said, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another even as I have loved you, so you should love one another. And so John, in his letter, 1 John, the apostle writes to believers and he tells them that they are to love one another. Let me read 1 John 3 to you. 1 John 3.16 says this, By this we know love, because he, Christ, laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So that's a real practical and a very specific way that John has defined love. He said, look at Jesus. How did Jesus love us? He loved us by laying down his life for us. And so we too ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? He said, if you see someone in need, if you see your brother in need and you got something to help him, but you shut your heart up, he said, how can the love of God abide in you? It's a real practical thing, isn't it? And then in verse 17, or verse 18, he says, my little children... Let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So this is why John says you can't say you love God and hate your brother because if you do that, then the love of God's not in, not, it's not in you. So when we talk about this concept of community, love has got to be more than just lip service. Love has got to be more than just what we sing about, what we read about, what we say because it's what the Bible says. Love has got to become a part of of my very nature and who I am. Why? Because if Christ is my life, if I have become a partaker of the divine nature, then how can I not have love? And if I say I have love, but, but love is not evident in my life, then something's not right. So love, in a very practical sense, is a characteristic of community. And love, by its very nature, as Jesus demonstrated it, because it's represented by, by God sending the Son to die for our sins, to offer us His life. Do you realize Jesus laid down His life so that He could give us that life? That's love. And so we see that love is inherently what? It's sacrificial. Love transcends self to the point of sacrifice for my brother or for my sister. So let us love in truth and deed, not merely in word. Love, which is not sacrificial, is really not love. All right, let's look at a second characteristic of biblical community. The second one is consistency. And we see in the book of Acts, man, the book of Acts is an awesome account of the early church 
And you don't get very far into the book of Acts when you see really just a very graphic picture of what the church looked like right after it was birthed. And the early church pictured there in Acts was a picture of a church, of a, of a called out group of people that met daily to encourage each other. They met and they worshipped together. In Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, let's turn over there. Turn in your Bible to Hebrews 10, verse 24. It says, let us, and let us consider one another. Right there, we should pause. And what does the scripture command us to do? Let us consider what? Who? One another. So when you begin to read the scripture from a point of view from, from, from God's point of view, from Christ's point of view, from a point of view that comes from the head and not from wherever you are. When you begin to read the scripture in that way, you see that the scripture takes us away from self and it puts the focus squarely on that which is outside of myself. On God first, but I can't be focused on God and not consider my brother or my sister. I cannot consider one another and not consider God. Amen? Let us consider one another. Look what it says. In order to stir up love and good works. Why are we commanded to consider one another? To stir up love. You notice it doesn't say to stir up strife stir up division, to stir up anger, to agitate. No, it says to stir up love. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Why is it important for us to assemble together? Do you know there's a great debate going on right now in, in the church, especially in America? Matter of fact, there's a book I read recently, and, and to be honest with you, I thought it was a great book. And it's called, So You Don't Want to Go to Church Anymore. Now, I, I wouldn't recommend it for an immature believer. I wouldn't recommend it for someone that doesn't understand what it means to be in Christ and why it's important for us to be connected and in fellowship together. Because, you know, you could read a book like that, and you could take it, and you could use it as a justification to just do your own thing. Well, me and God, we're going to do our own thing. And to begin to throw rocks at the church and say, well, they hurt me and they did this and they did that. So me and God, we're just going to do our own thing. I'm just going to find a bunch of other discontent believers and we're going to all come together and be discontent together. We're going to all come together and assemble together in our offense. See, that's not the right thing. And there's this great debate going on about the church. See, there really can't be any debate about the church, the true church. You know why? Because the, the church is not what man has done. The church is what Jesus has birthed. And regardless of what the institutional, the denominational, the non-denominational, the full, the half, the whatever you want to call it, church does, there will always be a remnant of people who are the church and the promise from Jesus is, and I'm going to trust Jesus, 
that the gates of hell will not prevail. He will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But this concept of community, why it is so important. See, I can't live in community with my brothers and sisters and still hold offense. I can't live in community with my brothers and sisters the way Scripture defines it and still have these issues and these problems. There is something that's going to that's going to cause me to deal with that. Even if I can't do anything about the other person, the Spirit of God is going to deal with me. He's going to deal with me because He wants my heart to be right. Well, what's a right heart? A right heart is simply a heart that is conformed to and aligned with the heart of God, the truth of God, the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God, the compassion of God. That my heart would be conformed to the heart of God. I can't do anything about my brother or my sister's heart. Can't do anything about that. But I can. I can do something about my heart. I can choose to not allow my heart to become hardened. I can choose to not allow a root of bitterness to remain in my heart. I can choose to forgive. I can choose to extend grace and mercy and love. I can choose to do that. How? Because God gives me the grace to do that. And so I can't say that I'm living in community and choosing not to do those things. And so that's why the writer of Hebrews says, let us consider one another to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting, encouraging, and building up one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. So one of the characteristics that is so important when we talk about community is consistency. It's consistency. Hebrews 3.13 tells us to exhort one another daily. So we have this clear scriptural mandate that points us toward what? It points us toward long-lasting relationships and deeply consistent presence there should be something that is of a long-lasting and deep nature when it comes to our relationships it doesn't necessarily mean that we're always going to be next door neighbors or we're going to even worship together in the same building but but see relationship has got to go beyond those physical and geographical and temporal things and it goes to a spiritual root and a spiritual foundation that's rooted and grounded in the very nature of who God himself is. And if I have become a partaker of his divine nature, then these characteristics must become a part of my life. Occasional or infrequent gatherings, it's really what we do. That's why, that's why I always say, what happens here on a Saturday night or a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night or even when you meet in your life groups, whether your life group meets once a week or twice a month, it doesn't matter. Your relationships in the body have got to go beyond those programmed things. It's got to become a natural part of who you are. Just like in our families, we have a natural relationship with our children with our spouses, with, with our family members that we live in fellowship with. 
And so as brothers and sisters in Christ, there needs to be, I'm not saying we all got to move in together and, you know, we got to spend, you know, 30 minutes on the phone together every day or two hours on the phone. No, I'm just saying, you know, there's just a, a natural, spontaneous and organic thing that happens in our relationship. And whether, whether we've been together on a daily basis or, or whether we haven't seen each other in six months, there should just be a natural thing where there is a connection there. Why? Because the connection is not based on an outward thing. It's not even based on an emotional thing. The connection is based on our life in Christ, that we have something in common. We are in the same community. We have life from the same source. It's Christ Jesus. So one of the characteristics is consistency. Love, consistency. The next one is worship. Worship is one of the indicators of biblical community. The early church spent its time engaging in celebration of the Lord and the remembrance of the gospel through, through the means of grace. What does that mean? It means that they, they made a declaration of the Lord. They celebrated the Lord. They celebrated the gospel through the Lord's Supper, through prayer, through singing, through the reading and the teaching of Scripture, kind of like what we're doing here tonight. This is why we call this worship. See, worship's not just the songs. Worship's not just the prayer. Worship's not just the preaching or the teaching of the Word. It's, it's everything. It's all that together and more. And so we find it essential for the biblical community to be about the pursuit of the Lord. Or, or I like to say it like this. Not pursuing the Lord in the sense that we're chasing after Him, but, but that there is a desire and there is a pursuit to grow deeper and more intimately in my relationship with Jesus. And, and how do I do that? I do it through all of these elements. It's why the Lord said, the Lord's Supper, do this as often as you do it. Do it in remembrance of me. It's why Paul says, when you come to the Lord's table... And you take the bread and you take the cup. You are proclaiming the death of the Lord even until he comes again. You're remembering the gospel. You're celebrating the gospel. You're celebrating Jesus and who he is. When we come together in prayer, how do we pray? How are we able to come to the Father? We're able to come to the Father through Jesus Christ. Now we can come boldly, the writer of Hebrews says, to the very throne of grace by the blood of Jesus. Even the act of praying is a declaration and a remembrance of what Jesus has done for us. And we're celebrating the fact that we can come. I don't need an angel. I don't need a saint. I don't need Mary. I can come face to face, person to person. I have been brought into the presence of God in Jesus Christ. And when I come to the Lord, when I pray, when I praise, I'm celebrating that reality. That's worship. Lifting our voices, having a song in our hearts. See if the only time we sing to the Lord is, is here when we have words up there and musicians on the stage. The Bible says to be filled with the Spirit, making melody in your heart to God and to one another. I should have a song in my heart everywhere I go, no matter what I'm doing. Making melody to the Lord, celebrating the fact that I have life in Jesus, that I live 
in the presence of the Father, that I live in community with my God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I live in community with my brothers and my sisters, and we all together are one in Christ. That's worship, the celebration of that reality, the remembrance of that reality. And coming together, we celebrate and we worship corporately. But you don't just worship corporately, you worship all the time. You should celebrate all the time and remember all the time. So worship is a part. If your only worship in your mind is what happens here when you're at church, then you've missed the reality of what worship is. This should just be an added bonus. I get to worship with my brothers and my sisters. I worship all the time. But man, I love it when I get to come together with my brothers and my sisters. And the body comes together corporately and we can worship God. Man, that is special. You know, I look forward to, to coming to, to worship with you guys. Not because I'm the preacher or the pastor. I mean, I look forward to coming. We came long before I was the preacher or the pastor. I love getting together with the saints of God. They're just something that's powerful, that's encouraging to me when we come together and we worship God together. There's something powerful about that. And why is that? Because the very act of doing that, it's a picture of, it speaks of this community. It speaks of this unity. It speaks of this oneness of all the saints of God gathered around the crystal sea, around the throne. Well, we're not there right now, but I'm telling you what, we are worshiping our God. Alone or with a bunch of people, it doesn't matter. But it should be something that we grow we draw great strength and encouragement from. So love, consistency, worship. Another one is this, authenticity. Authenticity. People who gather together and yet do not truly know each other cannot rightly be called a community. Now you know, we, we do the meet and greet. You can't get to know each other in three minutes. You can't. And so... We can't call that getting to know one another, but, but it's better than not. It's three minutes that we get to encourage one another, but, but don't rely on those three minutes to get to know somebody. You know, on Saturday night or Sunday morning, man, it's a perfect opportunity. Everybody goes and eats, eat, eats lunch somewhere. You know, grab somebody, say, hey, I'm going to Dairy Queen to get tacos. You want to go with me? I say, well, I don't want to go to Dairy Queen. Well, then go to Sirloin or go to the Chinese. I don't care. Go to your house. Find a way, though, to come together. And when you come together in fellowship, here's the thing. Be real. See, the Bible commands the confession of sin, commands that we confess our struggles, we confess our victories. And, and that is, is an evidence of what? A life of transparency. See, Christians are notorious for living with these facades. We erect these facades and these faces because we all know what we're supposed to be. We all know what we're supposed to act like. We all know how we're supposed to sound. We all know what words we're supposed to use. We all know what everybody expects of us. So we, we put these facades up. And we never let anybody in to see who we really are. Because we don't want people to know our flaws and our faults. 
But if we're going to live in real community, you know what? I'm commanded to love you, the good, the bad, and the ugly. You're commanded to love me, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And if we understand who God is, and we understand how God loves us, there should be nothing that we fear from one another. But see, that's not the case because Christians are also notorious for spreading rumors and, and gossip. It amazes me that we get so bent out of shape over sins like homosexuality or abortion or adultery. But yet, we got people going around that are just gossip and spread rumors and we don't think anything about it. You know, I love this. People come to me and they say, now pastor, I'm not gossiping. You know what? When someone comes to me and tells me that, I don't tell them this, but I'm like, if you aren't gossiping, you wouldn't have to tell me that you weren't gossiping. <laughs> if you got to tell me you're not gossiping, then you might as well just, not, just keep it to yourself. I'm not gossiping. I just want you to know this because. That's why people are afraid to be authentic. That's why people are afraid to be transparent. And that's why the scripture says don't do those things. Because if your brother or your sister can't come to you and be authentic and transparent because they're afraid you're going to get on the phone and tell everybody or put it on Facebook, <laughs> even if you do change the names to protect the innocent, or, or in your case, you might think the guilty, <laughs> there's got to be, there's got to be trust. To live in true biblical community, there needs to be a sense of trust. That I can come to you, that you can come to me, and, and, and we can talk about our struggles, our challenges. And there's a level of trust there that, that you've got my back and I've got your back. The scripture says love covers a multitude of sin. At the same time, we shouldn't fear coming to one another and bringing discipline, biblical discipline, if biblical discipline is necessary. And why does the writer of Hebrews say God disciplines his children? Because he loves them. Because a, a parent who does not discipline his children doesn't truly love his children. If you just let your kids do whatever they want to do, and you think that's love, they're going to grow up and, and, and you're going to find out you, you really didn't love them because they're going to reap the consequence of no discipline in their life. And the scripture says God disciplines his children because he loves his children. So there's got to be this, this transparency, this authenticity that comes. It brings, it brings health to the body. It protects the integrity of the body. It protects our witness. And it brings glory to God when, when we operate and live and function in true community. So this... Dedication to true community, to unity, it includes discipline. Look at James. Go to James 5.13. James 5.13. James says, if anyone among you is suffering, is anyone among you suffering, let him pray. Is anyone cheerful, let him sing songs. Is anyone sick, let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing the him with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up 
And if he's committed any sins, he'll be forgiven. Confess your sins, confess your trespasses to one another. And pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now, we always quote that, you know, at, at prayer meetings. And when we're teaching on prayer, we always quote the scripture. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. But we never quote the beginning of the verse. And the beginning of the verse says what? Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Do you know what I believe is part of an effective, fervent prayer? It's a prayer that doesn't hold anything back. It's a prayer that, that doesn't have a facade. It's a prayer that doesn't have a face. It's a prayer that's just wide open and transparent. It says, here I am, this is my situation. I need prayer. I laid my pride down. I didn't bring any pride in here to get prayer. You see, we want to hold on to our pride. We want to hide behind the facade, but yet we want the effective, fervent prayer to avail much on our behalf. But we're not willing to be transparent. I'm telling you what, church, there is something about transparency. You're not going to be, I'm not going to be transparent if I'm struggling with pride. And you know what the scripture says about pride? Well, right there, let's, let's, let's go over. And let's look and see. Look, look in Peter. Right there in Peter. Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter 5. God resists the proud gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. James actually said the same thing. He said it in James 4. 4, 5, and 6. Do you think the scripture says in vain the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? James 4, verse 5. Verse 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. You know when the devil will flee from you? After you do two things. After you submit to God and after you resist him. We're all about resisting the devil, but we wonder why he doesn't flee from us. You know why? Because we're unwilling to submit to God. That's why. Because we're holding on to our pride. And when we're holding on to our pride, I'm sorry, but we're not submitted to God. So you can resist the devil all day long. He's not going to flee from you because you're not submitted to God. Well, I got off on that. I didn't mean to, but authenticity. So these four practical characteristics are not simply an end to a means. Now, if we say, okay, this is what we're shooting for, love, consistency, worship, authenticity. That's, that's what we're going for in biblical community. No, you've missed the point. This is not the end that we're shooting for. We're not trying to find a means to this end where we're all living in love and consistency and worship and authenticity. Those are characteristics we should possess. But I'm telling you what, community goes deeper than that. Why we live in community, why community is important, goes deeper than that. When we speak of community, we speak of something much greater and transcendent than practical characteristics Listen, church, community speaks of God's eternal purpose. Community speaks of Christ. It speaks of the church and the glory of God. We can't talk about community. Community is not for our benefit. Community is for the glory of God. 
living in, as one, as beneficial as it may be for us, it's not for our benefit, it's for the glory of God. Imaging who God is and letting the world see that we're created in His image according to His likeness, as, as good as that might be for me, as many blessings as it may bring to my life, that's great, but that's not why. The greatest reason is not for me, it's for His glory. It's to bring glory to Him. It's to glorify Him. And so community must not be just another work. Community, listen, community must be a revelation of God's eternal purpose in Christ through the work of the cross and the birth of the church. I'm going to say that again because this is important. Community must not be just another work, but a revelation of God's eternal purpose in Christ through the work of the cross and the birth of the church. Apart from Christ, there is no community. Apart from the cross, we don't have a chance to come into it. And without Christ, and without the cross, there is no church. None. And there is no community. So we've got to understand, this isn't just another thing, it's not another model, it's not another... No, this is the essence of who God is. It's the essence of the eternal purpose of God. So what does this community do? It gives witness. Let's talk about four things that biblical community gives witness to. Number one, biblical community gives witness to the image of God. This is so important for you to grasp. You ever wonder why the enemy is trying to bring division everywhere and in every way that he can? From the smallest, most insignificant areas of your life to, I mean, marriages being divided, families being divided, parents and children being divided, churches splitting wide open right down the middle and being divided. It's happening everywhere. You know why? Because the enemy lives to divide the body of Christ. Why? Why is he so bent on dividing us from God? Do you realize that his very first recorded act in Scripture was to bring division between man and God? That is exactly what the enemy did from the very beginning, and he has not changed one bit since the beginning. And this is why the devil works so hard to bring division. Why? Because division destroys community. And when community is destroyed, the image of God is marred and the witness of God is diminished. See, if the enemy can divide us, if he can divide husbands and wives, parents and children, brothers and sisters, whether natural or in spiritual, it doesn't matter. If he can divide people... He mars the image of God and he destroys and diminishes the witness of God in the earth. I read to you 1 Peter 5. Let's go back there and let's read it in context. Look at 1 Peter 5. Let's begin in verse 5. Why does Peter tell us to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God? Why does he say that? Look at this. He says, likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. 
Why do you think Peter wrote that to, to the church? Do you think it might be because the church was experiencing division and conflict? And he says, hey, the problem you guys have is you're too proud. You've got too much pride going on. You need to submit to one another. You need to humble yourselves. Why? Because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Don't exalt yourself. Don't lift yourself up. Humble yourself, but let God exalt you. See, we want to exalt ourselves. But, but we're not commanded to exalt ourselves. We're commanded to humble ourselves. And then God will exalt us. When? In due time. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober. Be vigilant. Why? Because you have an adversary, the devil, who is walking around seeking whom he may devour. Do you see the context with which Peter wrote this? He's talking about people submitting to one another, humbling themselves, not being at odds with one another, but humbling themselves under the mighty hand of God. Because when we get into division, when we let pride come in, when those things happen, there is an adversary out there seeking whom he may devour. And you know what he wants to do? He wants to bring that division so that he can mar and diminish the witness of Christ in creation. Because remember, it's not just people who are watching. It's not just people we affect. Ephesians 3.10 says this, that we give witness to powers and principalities. It's been given to the church to make known to powers and principality, the, the manifold wisdom of God. What is that wisdom of God? That God saved us. That God put his spirit in us and made us his body. But when we don't act like his spirit is in us, when we are not unified like a body should be and functioning like a body should be, what is the message we're sending to powers and principalities? You see why the enemy is so bent on dividing? Because he wants to mar and diminish and destroy the very image of God, which becomes the picture that we give if we are living and fulfilling what Jesus prayed for in John 17. James 4, verse 1, look at this. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desire for pleasure, that war in your members? And he says, man, you lust, you don't have, you murder, you covet, you cannot obtain, you fight, you war, yet you do not have because you, you uh, do not ask. You don't ask, you ask, but you don't receive. Why? Because you ask for the wrong things in the wrong way. You ask for your own selfish pleasures because you're selfish. You adulterers and adulteresses. I mean, James is being pretty strong right there. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God? Or do you not think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealousy? What is he jealous for? What is the spirit in us jealous for? He's jealous for us. For our desire to be for him. For our hearts to be turned to him, not to these things. For us to understand that when we war and when we fight, when we're divided here, we are destroying and diminishing the witness and the image of God himself. And the spirit yearns jealousy, jealously. And he says, what are you guys doing? Don't you know 
who lives in you? Don't you know where your life is? Don't you know that you are complete in me? Why are you fussing and fighting and pulling and, and trying to have this and that and so focused on temporal things? And why are you giving place to the enemy? Why are you not being vigilant? Why are you allowing the enemy to come in and devour you? And the Spirit of God in us yearns jealously. But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud. There it is again, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, what? Submit to God. If I'm submitted to God, am I going to have a problem living in unity, in community, in oneness? Uh Uh-uh. Resist the devil, and guess what he will do? He will flee from you. He will. How do I know? Because that's what the scripture says. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You know what I love? You say, how can God, how can God leave me? God, why does God draw away from me? You know when I read that scripture, what I always think about? What is Paul? Paul uses this symbolism twice in his letter to the Corinthians. He talks about us looking into what? A mirror. There was an old James Bond movie. I think it was Goldfinger. I don't know, some of you James Bond buffs. I think it was Goldfinger where James Bond is driving down this, this road. And he's trying to either get away from the bad guys or I don't know what he's doing. I think he's trying to get away. And he's driving and, and, and he sees this car coming to him. Well, he crashes to try to get away from this car. You know what? It wasn't a car after all. You know what it was? It was a mirror. They put a mirror there. And it made James Bond think that he was fixing to have a head-on crash. As he was drawing near to that mirror, you know what it appeared like? It appeared that that reflection in the mirror was drawing nearer to him. But the reality is that mirror never moved. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Listen, he has never left you nor forsaken you. But when you look into that mirror and you see that image, as you draw near to him... It's just like him drawing near to you. But the reality is if you're in Christ, he never went anywhere. The problem is you turned your gaze away from him. You turned your face away from him. And when we turn back to him, we never leave his presence. We never fall out of community and fellowship with him. Only in our minds do we do that. Biblical community gives witness to the image of God, it gives witness to the fullness of Christ. I'm not going to read these scriptures. Ephesians 4.12 talks about coming into the full measure and stature of Christ. How? Why? Till we all come to the unity of the faith. There is community again. Biblical community gives witness to the fruit of the Spirit. This is why the scripture commands us to be filled with the Spirit. What's it mean to be filled with the Spirit? It means to live under the Spirit's control. We want to make it all about what happens out here. But I'm telling you what, it's all about what happens in here and manifest out here. Because if there is no spiritual fruit, we're done for. Because fruit is the only sign that we are truly in life. That's it. It's the only sign. Fruit is the only sign that we're truly connected to the true vine. If we don't have the fruit of the Spirit, then there is no proof, there is no way of truly knowing that we are connected to Jesus who is the true vine. And it's why being filled with the Spirit, being under the Spirit's control, 
is, is having the power to be a witness to Christ, a witness to His love, a witness to His joy, a witness to His peace, a witness to His patience, a witness to His kindness, His goodness, His faithfulness, His gentleness, His self-control. When I feel like getting angry, His fruit says, ah, don't do it. Now, I'm not saying we always, we always manifest the right things. But the promise of God is that if the Spirit is in me, His fruit will be manifest through me. It is a process. But it is a promise God gives us. So the biblical community gives witness to the fruit of the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18, go there. Look what Paul says about being filled with the Spirit. And don't be drunk with wine in which is dissipation. Don't be controlled by wine, but be controlled with the Spirit. And if I'm controlled with the Spirit, how am I going to speak to one another? In psalms, in hymns, in spiritual songs. What's going to be happening in my heart? I'm going to be making melody in my heart to the Lord. What's going to be my attitude? I'm going to give thanks in all things. Always, for all things, to Christ, to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. If I'm controlled, if I'm filled, if I'm controlled by the Spirit, what am I going to be able to do? I'm going to be able to submit to one another in the fear of the Lord. There is that unity and that oneness again. Biblical community gives witness to the fruit of the Spirit. And one of the fruits of the Spirit is this unity. It is this community. It is my ability to submit to you and your ability to submit to me in the fear of the Lord for the sake of unity and community. Biblical community gives witness to the glory of God. This is why the Father is glorified through our, our fruit. Go to John 15, and I'm closing with this. Biblical community gives witness to the glory of God. This is why the Father is glorified through our fruit as we abide in Christ's love. This is why Jesus gave us the glory of the Father that we may be one as God is one. This is what Jesus said. Look, look first at John 15. John 15, verse 18. I mean, verse 8. By this, my Father is glorified. What? That you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. So the Father is glorified by our fruit. Amen? As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Love is the first fruit of the Spirit listed in Galatians 5.22. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. There's another fruit of the Spirit listed in Galatians 5.22. And look at verse 12. And this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Biblical community gives witness to the glory of God. Now turn over a couple of pages to John 17. Look at verse 22. Jesus is praying for us. And he says, And the glory which you gave me, I have given them. Who's the them? Verse 20 says, It's those who will believe in me, by their word. That's us today. We believe in Jesus by the words of those disciples that were first preached. And those words, their words have been passed along to us. And now we believe 
because of their words. And Jesus says that I have given them the same glory that you gave me, Father. Why? That they may be one just as we are one. Biblical community gives witness to the glory of God. The reason God commands us and calls us to live in community is not for us. There is a benefit to us, but first and foremost and most importantly, it is for His glory. In community, God's divine image and the fullness of Christ is revealed to creation. The fruit of His Spirit is manifest and God is glorified. This is why love is the greatest commandment according to Jesus. Because if there is no love, there is no unity, there is no community, and if there is no community, if there is no unity, if there is no love, there is no witness of God. And that's why Jesus left us with the new command, to love one another even as I have loved you. So you should love one another. Because in our loving the way Jesus loves, we are giving witness to the very image of God and bringing glory to his name and that glory is being declared and manifest to every part of his creation amen and so we begin to fundamentally understand that community is much more important than just our actions how we function on a practical level it goes to the deepest the deepest parts of God's eternal purpose in even creating humanity in his image. And so this is what we're going to talk about next week. We're going to talk about community in the context of the cross. And why apart from the cross we cannot have community. We cannot understand community. We cannot even begin to. We, there is no revelation of community apart from a revelation of the cross. Amen. Come on up worship team. And uh, we've got about 10 minutes before the end of the service. And is, is there anyone here tonight that you'd like prayer? If you'd like prayer, we want to pray with you.